Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by who else? BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to place a bet on all of your sports action. The Masters is just a couple of days away. Baseball is back in full swing in NHL and NBA playoffs. It's right around the corner. So BetOnline, it's got you covered for all the new scores and odds. It's the best place. It's best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website right now to BetOnline.ag and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming back into the pod we've got a returning champion a good buddy of mine so happy to have him back i like bringing him around every once in a while and it's baseball season so much to talk about john zagluel hello john my friend how are you today i'm doing great joe it's great to be back you know these past couple of episodes we've done have been very bear centric and believe me that's been fun i know we'll probably touch on it today but it's always a pleasure to be on with you and chop up some Chicago sports. Yeah, let's try and end the pod without uh, each other crying and hugging each other through a Zoom call. Uh, let's try and finish the pod by that point. Well, right off the top, man, just want to g- congratulate you on all the work that you've been doing at WCKG, all the guests that you've been getting, man. It seems like it's been a really fun past month for you with the types of guests and the content just keeps on getting better. So congrats to you. Hey, thank you, man. You know, hey. You see what I'm doing? I'm really grinding. Like you yourself, you're putting out tons of content too daily. It seems like I'm seeing a new podcast or a new guest or a new topic. So, you know, we're both in the business of content creation and it's it's a blessing to be able to do this. I think on both ends, it's really nice. Well, dude, what I like about you, man, is you love to talk about sports every day. And you know what? So do I. So that's what we're going to do for about the next 30 minutes. I want to get your thoughts on some baseball just because we haven't gotten a chance to talk a lot about that uh, here on the pod. You know, how do you take your early season baseball, John? It's almost like a how do you like your steak cooked? Are you the guy that uh, that that says, oh, man, baseball is so back this season is long. I'm going to try and relax. Are you a guy that's maybe looking for a couple of nuggets, a couple of crumbs? about the early play of our White Sox or Cubs teams? Or are you a guy that's like, as we're taping this right now, the Cubs are being no hit in the sixth inning after putting up only one hit yesterday. And, it, you know, those those scars, those traumatic moments of last year starting to kick in. What kind of uh, baseball fan are you at this point in the season? I'm a nugget guy. I don't want to jump to conclusions, jump to opinions too quickly, because as you said correctly, 162 games, very long way to go for both teams in this entire season. I mean, the White Sox, who are supposedly World Series favorites, are choking to start the year. And the Cubs can't hit the baseball, which is not a surprise, but that could change. So there are a lot of things and a lot of time left in this year. I have been disappointed with the Cubs, though. Um, That is unacceptable to me. You know, it seems like, and I talked about this a couple of days ago in my program, ever since 2016, it's just been downhill. It's been Rizzo's been hitting, Bryant hasn't. Baez has been hitting. Bryant and Rizzo never at the same time and it's just so aggravating and it was so funny and and I'm sure you remember this back in the offseason everybody said oh my gosh the Cubs lineup's actually pretty good and then you turn around and you put up you're hitting a buck 60 as a team throughout the first five or six games of the season to me that's unacceptable and I know things will get better I understand oh COVID spring training lots of different things going on but at the end of the day you gotta hit better if you want to win and as for the White Sox I'm not as concerned I made a video the other day, Liam Hendricks, there should be no ambiguity when it comes to his role. I know early on we saw Tony La Russa kind of hesitate using him in multiple inning situations, which I think is just completely wrong. If you know who Liam Hendricks is as a pitcher, you know 
He came up as a starter with the Twins in 2010, 2019 All-Star, pitched in 86 innings. I put out my video. I said 1.54 ERA in multiple innings pitch. Liam Hendricks in 2019. He's not a bad pitcher. He, he's, he's built to throw multiple innings, so I was not happy with the way he's been treated. Yermin Mercedes has been an amazing bright spot. Abreu and the guys are starting to pick it up. I'm not as concerned about the White Sox, and it's also very tough, too, when you start out on the West Coast. You're not even at home yet. You know, your first couple of games are against the Angels, who are a formidable opponent. Now you're in Seattle. I mean, that travel does wear down on you, especially considering that last year, all these teams played 50 or 60 games. Now it's a full season. Mentally, you have to get back into that environment. So to, to, to really answer your question, I know I went a little bit off, off topic. I like, I like the crumbs. I don't want to overreact early. By June or July is when we should start getting the inkling, hey, this team is good. This team's a World Series contender. These guys are missing the playoffs. Well, and I'm right there with you, but th that's the thing is I, I make the steak analogy because – it's almost like I want my baseball medium rare and bloody, right? I know that's not the healthiest thing for me. I want to overreact to everything. I want to make prognostications. You mean Mercedes is going to be the MVP. You know what I mean? But again, you have to kind of pull yourself back. And I think that's what we try and do, you know, try and talk to these White Sox fans and Cubs fans to let them know that the season is long. But there are some things that you want to keep an eye on, especially some things that we noticed last season that have already kind of poked up this year that could be troubling moving forward or something that maybe the team needs to iron out over the next couple of weeks. Now I loved your hit with Liam Hendricks. I totally agree with you. I mean, we just gave this guy what 52, 54 million dollars. Guess what? That 52, 54 million could have been spent on a guy like a Michael Brantley in the off season, but instead we made a really awesome bullpen more awesome with the addition to him. So I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I do really like what they've done with crochet and Kopech where they're like, Hey, we're going to give you 30 pitches every night two innings, three innings, whatever. I think that can maybe be extended out to Liam Hendricks because you do have a guy that can step in at any moment, and Aaron Bummer, and Evan Marshall, Crochet, Kopech, take your pick. On a night when Hendricks can't close a game, you've got some options there. My question for you is, and you touched on it with the Cubs hitting so far, what's more concerning for you at this point in the season? Now, last year, in my opinion, what really held the White Sox back was uh, poor bullpen management, different manager, but really their defense you know, really offensive, talented lineup. The defense, in my opinion, just isn't championship level. And as we've seen through these first four or five games, every single game, there's even like a fly ball hitting off Luis Roberts' head or some sort of misplay. Magic ball, it's been kind of an adventure at second base. Is that more concerning? Or the Cubs offense right now with the supposed four or five all-stars in their lineup, you know, putting up only one hit yesterday. And as you mentioned, hitting what, like a buck 22 right now for the season? What's more concerning? The defense is not concerning to me, and here's why. These guys are still very, very young and very inexperienced. They need time to play for a full season. You know, many people think, and maybe this is a bit unfair, everyone's expecting World Series or bust, essentially, for this White Sox team. Now, I understand there's been a lot of money spent, a lot of resources committed to the rebuild. But we have to remember, last year they played together for, what, 60 games? And that was the first year in which they were supposed to be legitimate contenders and playoff worthy, a playoff-worthy team. There's a long way to go in this season. A lot of these guys are young. A lot of them are inexperienced. I mean, Aloy Jimenez, a guy who's been hurt. Now he's hurt. He, he had major defensive issues, too, and he got hurt playing defense. So all these guys need time to develop, in my opinion. And I think that will come with time and experience for this White Sox team. 
The Cubs hitting is very concerning because these guys have already been there. They've already done all this. This is just regression. Really, at the end of the day, it's regression. And it's pretty sad, to be frank. It's very sad to see his team go from a 2016 conglomerate to be a World Series champion to now all of these supposed superstars who can't even hit out of a paper bag, and they're hitting 200, 215. Or superstars, I mean, our heroes. Our hero, our championship 2016 heroes, and every time they get up to the plate, you say to yourself, you know, this is the time Chris Bryant's going to knock him, you know, knock back into it and show us that that glimmer of that MVP form. You keep waiting for it, and I think there's some sadness in there too as well. Exactly. And, you know, Cubs fans are just so hard to deal with, and I used to be a Cubs fan, believe oh, me. Oh, no, now. what happened? You left? I'm, <laughs> I'm right down the middle now. I have no fandom, no loyalty anymore because I can't even take it because – the minute you try to introduce facts to the argument, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that Chris Bryant hasn't been his 2016 MVP self since, you know, 2016. They don't want to hear that maybe you shouldn't extend Anthony Rizzo and pay him a boatload of money for six years and have him be on the team at 38 years old when he can't even hit today. And he might already be past his prime. A lot of people don't want to hear this stuff, but it's pretty apparent to both of us, especially now for those who didn't believe before. Now, you know, his team can't hit. And if you can hit with supposedly these big superstars and these legends, as everybody wants to say, at some point, you got to pull the plug. You have to pull the plug and say, this isn't working. This hasn't worked realistically, let's be honest, since 2016. It hasn't, because if it did work past, they'd win another World Series. They should have won more World Series than just one. That's a fact. So at this point, when we're sitting here still talking about the same narrative for the past four or five years, it's 2021. And we've already seen leadership change. We've seen the Cubs um, bring back money. They, they don't want to spend as much money. So we've seen signs that things are to come. At this point, I don't understand why you're delaying the inevitable. I understand you want to you know, see the market, see the trade market for these guys. But it seems like every year they suit up, their value just gets worse and worse and worse. And you're left wondering, what are these guys going to get back? What are the Cubs going to get back for a hobby Baez or a Chris Bryant. I mean, nothing, nothing at this point. They have totally tanked into the ground and it's very sad to see. You know what, John, I'll tell you this right now. I don't care if there's 200,000 miles on my Lexus. That's the car that I got when I fell in love and I'm riding that car <laughs> into the ground. I'm going to tell you, tell you that right now. Well, and, and you know, and you're right. And the hardest part about it was now, in my opinion, I feel like 2017 was a really good season for the Cubs. You know, that national series, which was honestly one of my favorite playoff series I think I've ever watched, it just kind of sapped all the energy out of that Cubs team. They didn't play very well, got the blows, the doors blown off of them by the Dodgers that next year. But then you're right, you know, 2018, honestly, really great team again. Collapsed in September, lost at home to the Rockies. 2019, lost nine games in a row in September. I mean, you know, fell back of the pack, didn't make it happen. And then in 2020, a team that started off really well, kind of sort of played 500 baseball after that great start and then didn't hit the baseball, you know, in the postseason. So my question for you, and I think a lot of listeners might be saying, Hey, Joey, Hey, John, you know, so when is the time to really start taking stock during a baseball season? You know, in my personal opinion, around 40 to 45 games is I think when you can start really coming out and being like, Hey, this team might just be like this, you know, how long do you kind of give a baseball team before you really start saying, you know, this is sort of is what it is. And we need to act accordingly as a fan or, you know, as, as someone who's an analyst moving forward. See, it all depends to me on the situation. So, for example, in the Cubs case, everybody wants 
a World Series, right? The Cubs aren't in the business of, oh, we just made it into the playoffs versus another team like maybe the Blue Jays, right? The Blue Jays just want to make it in. They want their fan base to be happy. They want to build off this. The White Sox, they want to build off this. They are not thinking World Series or bust right now. The Cubs, they'd regress if they said, oh, all we're trying to do is just sneak our way in. So for the Cubs case, I would wait till about 50 to 60 games, like right around June 1st, to then start to realize, okay, we need to, we need to do something here. The trade deadline's coming in a month, month and a half. Let's see what we could do. Put some feelers out. Let's make some moves and prepare for the future. In the case of the White Sox or in the case of a team in which there are no expectations, you wait till the trade deadline, the day up. You know, now we have the wild card where anybody could really get in. I mean, when we look at the standings on July 31st, it seems like every single team is in it. They're somehow in the playoff race, five games out, three games out. They, they, they have the spot as, as a bad day. So if you're in that position where all you want is a playoff appearance and then you want to build off it, I would say wait all the way till the trade deadline and make your decision that day before 3.30 Eastern. But if we're talking about a team like the Cubs, um, other teams who are very successful or who have been, and then all of a sudden start shifting their priorities and think, oh, well, maybe we'll just make it in. Maybe we'll just be a wild card team. If you've sunk to that level, it's time to seriously consider what you're doing with the organization. And in my opinion, it's time to pull the plug. If Chris Bryant was a free agent right now and you were a GM in baseball, how much do you think he's worth? What's, what, what's, what's the market value for Chris Bryant? Zero. <laughs> Zero because he can't hit. No, no, no. Everyone thinks, and Scott Boris thinks, and Chris Bryant thinks that he's a $200 million player. They keep throwing the $200 million out there. There is just <laughs> no, there is just no world right now. I mean, maybe in, after 2016, I could have wrapped my head around that. But if he's thinking Nolan Arenado money, he's, he's, he's crazy, right? So what is his value right now? And I, I've, I kind of posited this on the pod yesterday. If you're Chris Bryant, if your agent wasn't Scott Boris, and let's just say you have a decent season, why wouldn't you sign a one- or two-year deal to stay with the Cubs at like $15, $16, 17000000 million a year and see if you can take one more shot to get your market back in line because he's still a young man and he could still sign that six-year deal later on? I just find it weird. It just seems it's impossible that Chris Bryant could ever return to the Cubs at this point. Yeah, he is worth $20 million at best per year. You want to give him a six-year contract, $20 million per year. If you're a team, you're a sucker for even giving him a penny. But if you want to give him $20 million per year, go ahead and do it. To even think, to even fathom that Chris Bryant is worth $200 million, that actually sickens me. You see that's the look what they on think. my face? Yeah, that's what they think, man. so disgusted and sickened. If you think that you're somehow even close to Nolan Arenado, you got another thing coming. I don't care that you won the MVP. Because you know what? At the end of the day, in the World Series, you couldn't freaking hit. And afterwards, as we move forward, he's gotten worse and worse and worse. And I know sabermetricians are out there saying, well, hey, his floor is good. His OPS plus is good. You know what? You didn't come through in the clutch. You didn't come through when the Cubs needed you. It's great if you have 30 home runs and have 90 RBIs and hit in times in which the Cubs don't need a thing. When it's 11 to 1, you had a couple of home runs. Good job. No one cares. What, you want a sympathy prize? No, no one cares. When you're at the point where you were an MVP, you had a 39 homer season, you hit 292, and you can never get back to that point. That to me is very telling. I think it's over. I don't think he's ever returning to that MVP form. And I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he proves me wrong. I don't see it happening. 
So if that's the case, then what's the market value for, let's be frank, an average third baseman? Slightly above average maybe when it comes to hitting because he still could get on base. But his defense is average. His power is very average. And that's funny because I remember in the scouting report, they said his power was an 80. Um, it goes on a scale of 20 to 80. They said 80 power. He's going to be a 40 home run guy. You know, he's never actually hit 40 home runs. And it's ironic, right, where I also remember that scouting report. And I don't, re- I don't know if you remember the player comp that they had for Chris Bryant when he was drafted. It was Troy Gloss from the Los Angeles Angels. Big, hulky home run guy. And I remember reading the player comp and being like, no way. Our number two pick in the draft is going to be Troy Gloss. That doesn't sound right. But you know what? He's kind of having the career of Troy Gloss right now. And if you look up those numbers, those first couple years in Anna are in Los Angeles or Anaheim, whatever team the Angels were, were uh, based in at that particular time in the early 2000s, he had a couple 30-plus home run seasons. They went to the playoffs. You know, they, uh, they ended up, you know, they went to the World Series, won the World Series. And then after that, his career production kind of tailed off because of injuries, because of his taller, bigger stature. And I hate to say it, and I want Chris Bryant to prove me wrong because there's been many days in my life that I've loved Chris Bryant, but his career is turning more into Troy Gloss by the day. And I know that's a really hard comparison for Cubs fans to wrap their heads around, but it's kind of true. And you know who isn't worth $200 million? Troy Gloss. Troy Gloss made no money in his career. As it is, he turned into a journeyman. He was signing one-year deals at age 30 just to stay around in the league. I know no one wants to hear it, but you know what? We're just saying this is, it's just where it's trending right now. And we're just being honest about where it's factually trending right now. Show me the, show me the numbers. Show me the improvement after 2016. Show me that he'll ever be a 30, 45 home run guy. He'll, he'll hit 300. He'll put up a hundred RBIs. I don't see it personally. And I know you don't either. That's why I think it's best for the Cubs. It's best for everybody to just kind of let him walk after the season. I really don't want to see the Cubs actually commit a decent amount of money to him, he is not worth it. If if we're talking about here and saying that Nolan Arenado is a $200 million man, Chris Bryant is half of that because Nolan Arenado is a Platinum Glove Award winner. He plays excellent defense. And I understand that, you know, course field numbers are inflated, but he's still not a bad hitter no matter what. And I guarantee you in St. Louis this year, he's still going to put up better numbers than Bryant, no matter what. I, I, I No one can convince me otherwise on that. So... No, Brian should not be paid. And I know it's a tough revelation for Cubs fans. And my recommendation is remember the good times and move on. Hey, they did win a World Series, but there's been enough time passed between the World Series and where we are today. We have to stop fixating on it because if we continue to do so, this team's never going to move forward. The White Sox didn't fixate on 2005. They, they did good in 2006. They didn't make the playoffs. 07-08 done that's it they're, they're, they're they've moved on and there's a new team here and everybody's forgotten about that 2005 team i understand they have a plaque people know that's great but everybody's looking forward to what they have now the young talent no one's thinking oh my gosh i, I wish it was 2005 again no they want to see this new team win so until the cubs make a concerted effort and say we want to see a new generation a new team win fans be patient with us i don't see them moving forward at all and that includes all their players and all the core players that we talk about, Brian, Baez, Rizzo, all these guys. Something needs to change. They have an opportunity to do it, especially this year, but they've been reluctant. And I know they've been reluctant because they're going to lose fans. They're going to lose marquee sports network money. They're going to lose um, fans in the stands and interest. And it's, it's a tough thing to grapple with. So you have to find a way to make that trade-off work. 
Well, breakups are hard, John. It's it's kind of really what we're sort of getting at, right? Where and and I think what is something that a Cubs fan should expect is that as we do move on from these core players that won us a World Series title, you do have to replace them with people that are going to produce and that are going to be talented and that are going to be leading to winning baseball. I think we both can agree on that. What's interesting too about some of this is, and it's why I say breakups are hard, is Kyle Schwarber is no longer on the Cubs, right? I am almost relieved. I almost exhale that he is no longer on the Cubs because now I can just appreciate the Bambino, the playoff hero, the big goatee swing and stick guy that he was in 2016. And I don't have to have any more tape of him looking at a three, two fastball right down the middle of the plate for an, for an inning ending strikeout. Right. And maybe for some of these guys like a Chris Bryant, if he does move on and he goes somewhere else, maybe there is a world where, Cubs fans can then kind of return to really appreciating these guys as the heroes that they were. Cause they are for what they did in 2016. Hey, free meals. You know what I'm saying? Walk into any steakhouse. These guys get a table. These guys get a free steak for the rest of their lives. But now maybe we can get more towards appreciating that as opposed to ugh, just the frustration of them, their degrading skills or their degrading production, the regression in terms of their career. And like, where do we go from there? And I'm, you know, I'm kind of starting to like, Love the Kyle Schwarber that I fell in love with the first time. Now, you know, the heart's growing a little fonder the further away that he is. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Canon Sunglasses. Now, my sunglass history, it's a little checkered. I like to live a funky, fresh lifestyle, but I'm always breaking my sunglasses or I'm buying that $10 cheap pair and then losing them automatically. Well, no more, I say. It is time to make your outdoor experience better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make your lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch and let me tell you these canon sunglasses they are absolutely perfect for the golf course so use the exclusive code canoncast15 at canon.com to receive 15 percent off your first pair that's right canoncast15 k-a-e-n-o-n-c-a-s-t-1-5 canon clearly better now back to the pod i want to pivot over to a question uh some postseason action for you both teams kind of fighting for a spot which team are you more excited about watching in a playoff series, the Blackhawks or the Chicago Bulls right now? Oh, Chicago Bulls by far, because I'm very excited to see this team progress. We all know they're not a playoff or a, a championship contender at the moment. This team reminds me, Joey, of the year in which they acquired Brad Miller and John Salmons at the trade deadline, that yeah. specific year. It was just fun basketball. You knew they weren't going anywhere, and they put up a fight in that playoff series. I remember first round, they didn't win. That's what this team reminds me of. They are, like, right on the cusp. They need a couple of more years. They need that big-time superstar. Vucevic was a great, great move. Zach Levine has proven to me this year that he deserves to stick around. At the beginning of the year, I thought they should trade him. I was very but skeptical I, on Zach Levine for years. Exactly, but I changed. He, he has played, and he has shown that he's willing to – adjust to a new coaching staff, adjust to a new scheme, and be better, especially defensively. I'm fine with him staying. I'm fine with Vucevic staying. Keep developing Patrick Williams. And if you could bring in one or two big-time superstars, they are set. I could see this team being a top-four team in the East, and from there, who knows what happens. I'd love to see them more than the Blackhawks. The one thing that does concern me still is Lowry Markkinen and his progression, what they're going to do with that contract. I've talked to many people on my program, Mark Shanowski, actually a lot about this. And he told me that right now, 
they should probably consider renouncing his rights after the season and letting him go. And I know it's very weird to hear that for a lot of Bulls fans, but my question to all of them is, what has he really done? I think his ceiling has been reached. There's been regression. There's been flatlining. I think at this point, you have to realize he was a part of a certain era of Bulls basketball, the losing mediocre era. You're transitioning into a culture and a period of winning, so you have to replace him with players who know how to do that. I agree with you on the Chicago Bulls. The Blackhawks are kind of a tough watch. They're a scrappy young team. The defense is bad. Every time they give up a goal, they give it up right back. It, I mean, I think for in terms of like the Tums in my in my bathroom, I probably will not watch the Blackhawks. I'm right there with you on the Bulls. That's an interesting point that that uh, Ski brought up, Mr. Shinowski, where they do have a major decision, right? Where I personally feel like Laurie Markin and I felt this way for a while is a nice bench piece, a sixth, seventh man a poor man's Tony Kukoc that maybe comes off the bench, can hit a couple threes, kind of give you a little bit of that offensive juice off the bench. Now, that being said, what is that worth to you? And for me, you know, the Bulls have to be very, very hard line in terms of their threshold of what they want to pay him RFA-wise. You know, let the Sacramento Kings put a $65 million offer sheet on Laurie Markkinen and let him walk because you already saw with Wendell Carter, right? I mean, you know, AK and Eversley, are looking at this team right now. And I love how they're making decisions on the fly. They said, you know what? We've seen enough. It's time to move on. And it wasn't so much that they didn't like Wendell Carter. It's just that his, his, he's coming up for RFA too. They're just going to have to make those financial decisions on those players. And these are all get slotted into you know the salary cap of an NBA team. And I'm with you. I, I think if they got that one big star with Vooch and Zach Levine, that trio right there I think is good enough to really do something interesting. And then you got a guy like Patrick Williams that can take on the other team's best offensive player, and he's not in your best three. So that balance is, is something that I think, think is really intriguing. And yeah, I, I do want to see the Bulls. My question is, you know, it, the timing was tough, right? What did they just lose seven games in a row? They've won their last couple. The schedule gets really interesting over the next week. Do What do you think it's going to take? I mean, can they get to 500 by the end of the season? Or do you think... It play in tournament, maybe a couple games under 500 by the season's end. I think the play in tournament, and this is no blame to anybody. It's just a tough situation. You wanted to make some moves. You realized if you're AK and Mark Eversley, things need to change. So they went out, they impulsively made a decision. And I think in the long run, it's a good one. But in the moment, I mean, think about how hard this is for Bulls players. I mean, you lose Wendell, you lose all these guys that have been on the team in some, some cases for a couple of years. And you're all of a sudden transplanted with these brand new teammates in the beginning of a season or in the middle of a season, and you're in a playoff hunt and you're trying to fight for the playing game. So I'm actually been okay if they don't even make the playoffs. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be disappointed because at the beginning of the year, I don't think anybody even expected this. And then the Bulls played better and everyone's expectations shifted a bit. But we have to remember this is a mid-season huge trade, not, not even just, oh, Brad Miller, John Salmon. This is a legitimately huge trade that they gave up a big piece of their future. They gave up three Garpacks draft picks in a matter of hours on that day. That is a huge organizational shift in one day, one day on the trade deadline. So let's kind of pull back a little bit. Let's not be saying, oh, if they don't make the playoffs, they're screwed or this was a bad move. They literally had an organizational epiphany on one day a couple of weeks ago. It's going to take time for all of that to sink in for everybody on this team and I think next year, if they can enter the season with some cap space, if they sign a couple of players, 
And everybody's under the impression, okay, this is our team. There aren't going to be big moves. There aren't going to be draft picks traded. Once everybody has an idea of what their role is moving forward, I think winning will come with that. And you got to give Cristiano Felicio max money, right? You got to keep him in the fold. <laughs> No matter what you do, right? And he's an untouchable, right? People were calling and asking for Felicio. AK was saying, you know what? Click, hang up the phone. Um, You're bringing up a great point. And I think, if anything, it's almost like, regardless of what happens with these moves on the court, I find it refreshing. And I think it's invigorating for Bulls fans just to do, as you said, Chandler Hutchison, not working out. See you later. Daniel Gafford, maybe you can run the floor, but you can't guard a pick and roll. See you later. Out you go. You know what I mean? Otto Porter got a way to get out of that money. And and now they get to kind of really start to get dig their hands in on this Bulls roster, which kind of makes me a little scared for Kobe White. But he's a very young man. We'll see what happens. I think that's kind of a 50-50 one way or the other. We got to get you out of here on one final topic. We saved it to the very end, my friend. There's a little something called the NFL draft coming up um, in a couple of weeks. I don't know. It's kind of sort of a big deal right now. On a scale of one to 10, how terrified are you that Ryan Pace is going to sell the farm to get into the top five to get a bite at the apple at one of these quarterbacks? Very terrified. Actually, (laughs) very terrified because I just don't see a way in which the Bears could win the draft. And that's very scary for me because they could get a quarterback. They could trade a lot to, to move up to get one. And believe me, there are some talented guys. I like Trey Lance a lot, personally. I think that would be a great fit. But then you're going to have people complaining about too much giving up. And then if it doesn't work, it's like, oh, you screwed up on Mitt. Now you screwed up on him. We're, we're really in big trouble. You could draft a wide receiver. The Bears have that need. But then people will say, well, we don't have a quarterback. We don't have an offensive lineman. Not if you draft an O-lineman, everyone will say, well, it's not flashy enough. So I I really do not envy his position. I feel genuinely bad. At the same time, though, who put yourself in the position? They made the bed, totally. He's the one who did it. I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and actually trade up. And it better be a good quarterback. It better be somebody you really like because there's no more second chances. There really aren't. And I've heard inklings that, oh, there's a secret contract extension and they're still around. Maybe it is. And if that's the case, that's horrible, but fine. But if you screw up again on another quarterback that you drafted different from free agency that you drafted, it's fireable to me. And I think it will be done. Yeah. I have a personal belief of, I think a lot of people go out there and they say um, the only reason why Pace and Nagy are still around is because they made the playoffs two out of three years or whatever. I think that that's true. I also feel like in some sort of misguided way, because you hear the articles all the time about how the McCaskies talk to the Rooney family, you know, the, you know, they want to be the Steelers, but they can't be the Steelers. And I feel like one way that he's doing that is being like stability. He doesn't want to, you know, after the Phil Emery Trustman experience, it was so traumatic. I think for the organization that they're hanging on to Ryan Pace way too long, just because they think somehow stability at the end of the day will, will win out or something like that. I do want to ask you, so yeah, trading up to four terrifies me, right? Because what I'm reading and what I'm understanding is the capital that they would have to give up is pretty much equal to Russell Wilson. I would rather suck and wait for Russell Wilson than give it up and, and, and trust a guy that Pace says is the guy next. As much as I love Trey Lance, all of a sudden, if Ryan Pace says he's his guy, I'm going to get skeptical, right? But would you be okay with, I, I love playing fantasy football and fantasy sports and stuff. You got to sometimes let the board come to you a little bit, right? They're sitting at 20. Would you be upset if 
one of those guys, a Trey Lance, a Mac Jones, hell, even Justin Fields slipped out of that top 10 because now Sam Darnold's in Carolina. The pieces are moving around a little bit. If they traded up from 20 to the 10 to 12 area, which from what I understand will not cost you a first round pick, that seems maybe more like the prudent move. I mean, would you be okay with that? That's reasonable. I'd be fine with it as long as you're not giving up too much. I mean, like we could go back and look, for example, at the Mitch Trubisky trade draft night. I think that was a bit too much, obviously. <laughs> you, you can't be giving up that much to go up 10 spots. So if you're not going to give up, oh, our third pick and our later first round and our second round, if you're going to actually make it a reasonable trade, I'm perfectly okay with it because you have to take a risk. You, you really do. You, you're, in a, you're in a position where you really don't, you have no direction and no guidance right now. So if you're willing to take that risk and you're willing to pay the consequences, then go ahead and do it. Because at the end of the day, it's either you're going to make the playoffs with this new quarterback and things are going to work out great, or you're going to be fired. I don't mind the risk taking, but it better be the right guy. Because there are a couple of quarterbacks in this draft that are definitely skeptical for me when I look at them. And I don't want the Bears to make another mistake at this position. They've done, they've done too much harm to everybody, including themselves. You can't be going out there drafting somebody, moving up for them paying Andy Dalton, paying Nick Foles. I mean, what's going to happen then with the quarterback position as it is? What are they going to do? Are they going to have another competition where Mitch ends up winning it and they're going to pay Foles and then Foles is going to come in and they're going to screw Mitch? Are they going to actually- Reading tweets about how Andy Dalton looked crisp in the right. uh, the seven-on-sevens, yeah. Right. Are, are they going to do that? Are we going to sit here and, oh, we said Dalton is promised, so we'll let him start, then we'll only let him start three games and put in the rookie. Will Foles ever play again? That's too much, I think, for everybody. So there needs to be a way in which if the Bears know that they have a guy at four or five or 10 or whatever it might be, that he better be starting game one because we can't be sitting here doing this again and wasting all of this time in the season when it comes to going back and forth on quarterbacks. And you're looking at a guy like Mac Jones who has been rumored to go to San Francisco at three, and there's other people that don't even know if he's a first-round talent. That's how wild... It is from that standpoint. And then I think, you know, the Bears going out and maybe taking a Kyle Trask in the second round or a Kellen Mond. Okay, you know, maybe a value play. But, you know, again, that doesn't really invigorate a fan base that I think now is really getting into a point where it's not apathy, it's anger. You know what I mean? And we're really getting to that point now where our hands are up in the air. So my question for you is, you know, you're not Ryan Pace, but you are the GM of the Bears. You know, I would never I would never uh, insult you <laughs> in that kind of way because I like you. But let's just say you are the general manager of the Chicago Bears. Kind of walk through some of the scenarios. What would you do with that 20th pick? I'm an offensive lineman guy. I would take the meanest, nastiest left or right tackle that you could possibly find because now we're in that position where we're almost like the Chicago Bulls, where we have to create a, an environment that is attractive for a franchise quarterback. I want to be in a world where by the end of next season, we're going to deal with Andy Dalton and, you know, whatever. But what, our offensive line is young, improving, talented, deep. We take a wide receiver and pair him with Darnell Mooney and A-Rob. And now maybe we've got an interesting trio. Cole Komet maybe takes a small step forward. And then next year, it's not just maybe Russell Wilson that plays on that wants to play on our team. Maybe some of these other franchise guys want to do it as well. You know, how would you attack this from a general manager standpoint? The offensive lineman is not the flashy pick, but if I'm worried about my job security, I do that. 
because at the end of the day, you bolster your line, you show that you have confidence in your quarterbacks and that you're willing to help them, whether it be Dalton or like you said, anybody in the future that you're willing to invest in the quarterback himself by putting good pieces around him. And I don't think there's going to be too much of an uproar. Not that I'm concerned about public opinion, but it's not going to be horrible. If you stay at 20, if you don't give up anything, you just keep that pick and you draft a very good offensive lineman. I am not going to complain about it. You probably won't either. It's going to be okay for everybody. The problem is if you're going to move up and give up draft capital and say, this is my quarterback, you know, a lot of people are going to be very skeptical. Myself included, if I were the GM, I'd even be skeptical because I would know this is a risk. This could get me fired now. I've, I've been given an opportunity and somehow I still have a job despite being incompetent. So if I do that again, what's going to happen? I'm going to be fired if I'm a GM and I do that again and it doesn't work. So if I'm worried about job security, if I'm worried about also providing for my quarterback, and if I'm worried about the fact that I'm paying two quarterbacks significant amounts of money to be on this team for next year, I would go with the same pick, draft an O-lineman, and keep moving. Even a wide receiver, to me, is acceptable, and keep moving. Because that way you're signaling to everybody, I'm investing in the quarterbacks we have. There is no quarterback controversy. This isn't Mike Lennon and Mitch from 2017, no. Andy Dalton's the starter. Nick Foles is the backup. He could come in if we need him. And we're investing money in guys around him. That way they could succeed. Clearly, you know, when you're looking at these guys, you're trying to find the best guy, right? At the end of the day, I'm just going to speak from a fan's perspective right now. The thing that I think is really going to be awful about looking back on the Mitch Trubisky era wasn't that he was terrible because he wasn't terrible. It wasn't that he was great because he was not great. It was that he wasn't good enough. And it took us four years to figure that out. And that's what scares me the most about trading up, trading draft capital, moving up and taking another shot on another guy. Because at first that ride's pretty great, right? His first start. Ooh, did you see that one throw? Looked pretty good. If he could start replicating that, we'll see what happens. Ends ends the first season. Well, you know, he just got his feet wet. One year at the offseason, gets in the playbook, comes, you know what I mean? Like, and then the second season, oh, he's playing a little bit better. Can he take it to the next level? You know, and then that's what that's the ride we just went on with Mitch. And and it, it, it's it, it, I don't know. It's not I want to say, you know, it's a bit of the coaching staff's fault. It's a little bit of Mitch's fault. It's a little bit of the position of the transition that Pace had with John Fox into Matt Nagy. So they can all take a little bit of a blame. But the scary part is taking a guy and over the next four years, finding out at the end of the day that he isn't good enough. And I think that's what scares Bears fans the most. And I think that's what has them so agitated and angry right now. I don't blame you. I don't blame anybody. And that's, that's a fair assessment to have because the Bears historically have always gone through this. Always. I mean, we're talking about Cade McDown, Rex Grossman, Kyle Orton, Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler even. Yes, because Jay Cutler was brought in after a 4,000-yard Pro Bowl season, and people were expecting it. And even after year one, people expected it. And after five years, people expected it. You're looking at him, buddy. I'm a Jay apologist, man. Every year I was like, you know what? This could be the year that he figures it out. You know what, Mike Martz? You know what? If he didn't get hurt again, 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 over every single season. Now we get to a point where it happened to Mitch. A draft pick, another draft pick. And if they go out and get somebody else and they actually put people through this again, look, I don't know about you. I can't speak for everybody, but there have been a lot of people who commented saying, I'm done with the Bears. I've seen people say I'm not buying merchandise. I'm boycotting. Do you believe them? Not necessarily. I don't either. Because 
personally, I love football and I love the Bears and I could sit and watch them all day and not move from my couch. I don't see other people really mean, meaning that. Maybe they'll make an effort to maybe stop buying merchandise. I could see that for sure. Oh, for sure. I, I don't buy merch when I'm not excited about my team. That makes wow. a ton of sense, right? When Khalil Mack gets traded to the Bears, I'm getting the jersey because I'm excited. I'm not buying anything this offseason, not because I'm mad at the Bears, but because I have no reason to. You know what I mean? So that makes sense, and I believe that part of it. But for people to actually tell me, I've been a Bears fan for 40 years, now I'm not watching, get over yourself. Really, I your really buddy's not going to call very, you and be like, hey, you want to watch the game? And you're going to be like, no. Right. I am very, very skeptical when people comment that or when people tell me that, because it's like, you know, so what? It, it's been a big part of your life for that long. And you're just going to say no because of an incompetent GM. The Bears have been filled with incompetent GMs and presidents and quarterbacks and running backs and whatever it might be. Every position, <laughs> there's been incompetency over these past 90, 100 years. Yeah. So if you're going to tell me that now all of a sudden it's different, no, it, it really isn't. It's been going on. It's probably going to continue to go on. And people are just going to have to sit here and take it until there's a new generation of Bears fans. We're talking about like Gen Z or Gen X when they get older and it's like 2050. Then they're going to be like, you know what? Who even cares about sports? Who even cares about the Bears? Now we'll leave. But until that time, Joey, I think we're all going to be strapped in for a wild ride. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, so Rashad Coward sucks and Javon Wims drops a touchdown and now you're going to bail on the Bears? Give me a break, man. <laughs> we've seen we've seen Henry Burris. We've seen Marion Barber go out of bounds like when he wasn't supposed to. Like, give me a break, my friend. Um, and yeah, here's what I could say. You know, in 2050, maybe Mitch Trubisky Jr. will be drafted by the Chicago Bears and we'll finally do it right for the very last time. How would that sound? Sounds great to me. Hey, I'll be a fan. You know that. I'll be right away supporting. John Zeglul, man, I love bringing you on the pod, my friend. Thank you so much for making the time. Before you go real quick, please promote all the wonderful things and different ways that people can catch out, uh, catch up your show and check you out as well. Appreciate that, Joey. Yes, you guys can all listen to me 2 to 3 p.m. Central every day and 1530 WCKG. It's also on the iHeartRadio app, radio.com app. You can find me on YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago. I'm doing some great stuff there, about 1.58 subs right now. I started it only seven months ago. And every part of the show that you hear on the radio or here on the podcast, Sports Talk Chicago, which is also everywhere, you can watch me talk about it. We post clips from the show, interviews, YouTube exclusives, all that goes up there. And it's a really cool place to check out. So I hope you guys subscribe. But Joey, awesome time as always, my man. I can't wait to do it again. Dude, you're doing a great job. You know I love calling on you. You'll be back on very, very, very soon. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. This is Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head to BetOnline.ag this weekend. Get a 50% off welcome deposit bonus. And also make sure you check out some of the action that they got going with the Masters. All the baseball action that's coming up this weekend. NBA and NHL as well. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. we got just a couple more left this week, so make sure you check that out. Till then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.